Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to this week's episode of the Periodical Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Kevin, along with the incredible Tavis Killian. Hello. And today we're going to be sending it down over to Oklahoma to discuss a feud that's been developing over the past few weeks. As all of you know, shortly after being sworn into office, President Joe Biden signed an executive order to indefinitely ban lease sales for oil and gas development on all federal lands and offshore waters. Since energy production, well, namely oil and gas, is the backbone of Oklahoma's economy, Oklahoma Governor Kevin Stitt went to bat with an executive order of his own attempting to overrule the order. Tavis and I's discussion today is going to cover the content in this week's periodical that I released this past Wednesday, February 24th. So without further ado, Tavis, take it away. An individual or group refusing to let another individual or group tell them what to do or how to act is not a new concept. After all, the United States arose from growing tensions between residents of Great Britain's 13 North American colonies and the colonial government, which represented the British crown and led to the American Revolution. While not as dramatic as a declaration of independence, there are growing issues between recent rules imposed by the federal government and several states in the Union. One state that has recently spoken out about some of the Biden administration's executive orders is the state of Oklahoma. Shortly after being sworn into office, 46th President of the United States Joe Biden signed an executive order to indefinitely ban lease sales for oil and gas development on all federal lands and offshore waters. Since energy production, namely oil and gas, is the backbone of Oklahoma's economy, Oklahoma Governor Kevin Stitt went to bat with an executive order of his own. President Biden is attempting to lead the country towards a carbon-neutral future, while Governor Stitt is attempting to lead his state and those living in it towards sustained revenue and prosperity from the development of the area's natural fossil resources. As the federal government continues to restrict fossil fuel development through the country, the possibility of state and local pushback becomes more likely, especially if federal regulations severely impact tax revenues, job creation, and personal royalty income. Oklahoma's Governor Kevin Stitt signed an executive order criticizing the Biden administration's attack on energy-producing states like Oklahoma in order to, quote, protect Oklahoma's oil and gas industry from a Washington power grab, end quote. Stitt's order highlights Oklahoma's role as a global leader in energy production, as well as the state's successful all-of-the-above strategy that has reduced carbon dioxide emissions to levels well below the national average, while still producing the most affordable energy in the United States. Since 2005, Oklahoma has reduced carbon dioxide emissions from the power sector by more than 34%, while the national average is a mere 12%. In addition, the order also criticized the Biden administration's attack on energy-producing states like Oklahoma, specifically citing the federal overreach and dismissal of Oklahoma's constitutional ability to properly determine how to best develop its own natural resources. After signing the order, Governor Stitt made his stance very clear by announcing, quote, Energy production is the backbone of Oklahoma's economy. My executive order sends a clear message to the Biden administration that threatening to destroy Oklahoma's jobs and our constitutional ability to develop our oil and gas is unacceptable. We will not be passive in responding to systematic attacks on Oklahoma's values, end quote. Filed February 8th, 2021, Executive Order 2021-03 is strongly worded and to the point. The order highlights the fact that the oil and gas industry has provided the energy to power and feed the world while simultaneously having the cleanest and most affordable energy in the country. Furthermore, Oklahoma has reduced CO2 emissions by 19% more than the national average since 2005, while still providing hundreds of thousands of jobs. In addition, the energy industry pays billions of dollars of taxes to state and local governments assisting schools, services, and infrastructure. 
The order argues that President Biden's Executive Order 13990 is adverse to energy producers throughout the United States and is a contravention of Article 2, Section 2 of the Tenth Amendment of the U.S. Constitution because it prevents Oklahoma from exercising its ability to properly determine how best to steward and develop its natural resources. Governor Stitt therefore directs every state agency to utilize all lawful powers and methods to challenge any actions by the federal government that diminishes or destroys Oklahoma's ability to encourage job growth and responsible development of their natural resources. And I like the way that they're using that article of the amendment, because let's say this wasn't oil, this was copper. Sure, there's still an environmental cost associated, but what if they had this valuable natural resource that they wanted to produce and sell, provide jobs, state revenue? I mean, it's just kind of strange if you were to substitute it. People would have a huge problem, but because it's oil, eh, not so much. Exactly. There's a little bit less of this you know, pullback when really what Governor Stitt is trying to say is, look, you're overstepping your federal jurisdiction. You're telling a state how it can properly develop its own resources, create its own jobs. And and I think what really is the, the key part of this is he wants to utilize all lawful powers. He's not going to try and overstep the federal government. He's just trying to say, hey, look, you know, you guys took it a step too far here. How can we, you know, work together to encourage this blooming industry in Oklahoma and encourage job growth and just see the future further and further develop. Governor Stitt's actions are most certainly bold and brazen, but do they matter? They most certainly show a resolve towards his constituents, but to determine if his actions will make any difference is another matter. To begin to answer this question, the concept of presidential executive orders needs to be unpackaged. With the U.S. executive branch, one of the most common presidential documents is an executive order. Every American president has issued at least one, totaling more than 14,015 to date since George Washington took office in 1789. More importantly, an executive order is a signed, written, and published directive from the President of the United States that manages operations of the federal government. They are numbered consecutively, so executive orders may be referenced by their assigned number or their topic. For example, the first two executive orders on climate change released by President Biden, covered in parts 1, 2, and 3 of the Rare Petro-Biden Energy Policy Series, are 13990, 13992, and 14008, respectively. Both executive orders and proclamations have the force of law, much like regulations issued by federal agencies, so they are codified under Title III of the Code of Federal Regulations, which is the formal collection of all the rules and regulations issued by the executive branch and other federal agencies. But executive orders are not legislation. They require no approval from Congress, and Congress cannot simply overturn them. Congress may pass legislation that might make it difficult or even impossible to carry out the order, such as removing funding, but only a sitting U.S. president may overturn an existing executive order by issuing another executive order to that effect. So what does this mean for Oklahoma? On Inauguration Day, Acting U.S. Interior Secretary Scott de la Vega enacted a 60-day moratorium suspending new oil and gas leasing on all federal lands. A week later, on the newly coined Climate Day, Joe Biden went a step further by releasing an executive order allowing the Secretary of the Interior to indefinitely suspend all new oil and natural gas leases on public lands or in offshore waters pending completion of a comprehensive review and consideration of the federal oil and gas permitting and leasing practices in light of the Secretary of the Interior's broad stewardship responsibilities over the public lands and in offshore waters, including potential and other impacts associated with oil and gas activities on public lands or in offshore waters. Holy cow, that's a mouthful. <laughs> 
Therefore, a 60-day moratorium suspending new oil and gas leases on all federal lands and waters can now be extended indefinitely based on a decision from the Secretary of the Interior. The moratorium can absolutely be uplifted pending a comprehensive environmental and climate review. This is where Governor Kevin Stitt's order begins to gain ground. Secretary of the Interior nominee, Deb Holland, is to work with the Secretary of Agriculture nominee, Tom Vilsack, the Secretary of Commerce nominee, Gina Raimondo, and the Secretary of Energy nominee, Jennifer Granholm, to make an informed decision on the ban. While many were selected by Biden for their climate-forward thinking, not all of them are anti-oil and gas. For instance, Secretary of Energy nominee Jennifer Granholm has noted, quote, I think it is important that as we develop fossil fuels, that we also develop the technology to reduce greenhouse gas emissions, end quote, when asked about her support for the industry. Conversely, the person Biden selected to implement his campaign to end new oil and gas leasing on public lands is Deb Haaland, who has said, quote, I am wholeheartedly against drilling and fracking on public lands, end quote. Interestingly enough, she actually hails from New Mexico, the state with the nation's most oil production on federal lands. The oil and gas industry is the greatest economic contributor to the state, supporting more than 134,000 jobs and $16.6 billion in annual economic activity, including $2.8 billion in fiscal year 2020, accounting for 33.5% of the total state spending. While New Mexico is a rabbit hole to be explored in a future periodical, the fact remains that these individuals have been instructed to work together to determine the best path forward for energy development guided by the best science. Therefore, if Oklahoma can prove using the best science that their energy industry not only provides economic vitality for the state through job creation and responsible development while simultaneously leading down a road towards a cleaner tomorrow, they certainly have a shot of defeating Biden's initiative. And on the topic of the best science, it's not like Oklahoma is the bad guy here. I mean, you said they are 19% ahead the nation average of reducing greenhouse gas emissions and oil and gas alone, mineral extraction. That's pretty damn good. They're making an effort, but still, they're kind of getting slapped. <laughs> well, well and, and, and that's the point of this that I think is really important, the best possible science. So if Oklahoma can prove, hey, look, you know, we're responsibly creating energy for our, our state, for our country. We are creating jobs for our country, but we're still lowering our carbon footprint, our carbon emissions. Why isn't that the best science to prove without a shadow of a doubt that this is the path to really pursue into the future? Oftentimes, the best way to predict the future is to investigate the past. Utilizing that logic, several state-level executive orders that have attempted to overturn federal ones may give insight into the potential success of Oklahoma Governor Kevin Stitt's actions. A perfect example was the battle between President Trump and the state of Oregon. Just four months into office in 2017, President Trump signed Executive Order 13795 that declared the reopening of America's outer continental shelf to offshore oil and gas exploration, a move that aimed to reverse Obama's late-in-office invocation of Section 12A of the Outer Continental Shelf Lands Act of 1953. Obama's orders interpreted a 1953 law to effectively stop all drilling rigs from operating in American-controlled waters in the Arctic and Atlantic, both in state-owned territory areas up to 3 miles offshore and federal waters up to 200 miles offshore. At the time of Trump's executive order, Oregon's waters had an existing safeguard, a state bill signed into law in 2010 that prohibited offshore drilling in territorial seas. One problem was Oregon House Bill 3613 wrote in its own expiration date of January 2nd, 2020, stoking fears in 2017 that a new generation of emboldened energy speculators might start poking around the Pacific Ocean. 
On October 24, 2018, Oregon Governor Kate Brown enacted Executive Order 1828, warning the feds that, quote, several provisions in state and federal law authorize state agencies to object to federal leasings on the OCS, end quote. But three months later, Oregon Senate Bill 256 hit the floor that repeals sunset on moratorium on oil, gas, and sulfur leasing in Territorial Sea. Most importantly, the bill closed a loophole that could foil the plans of any would-be driller off the Oregon coast by banning pipelines from being installed through the state waters, making it extremely cost-prohibitive to bring oil to land. What Oregon truly wanted was to get the same treatment the Sunshine State received with former U.S. Interior Secretary Ryan Zink's 2019-2024 National Outer Continental Shelf Oil and Gas Leasing Program. The program finalized the Trump administration's intent to offer new drilling and exploration leases up and down the Pacific Coast, the first original leases to offer in the Pacific since 1984. But Zink offered just one state, Florida, an exemption. After meeting with Florida Governor Rick Scott, Florida's coasts were excluded from the leasing program until President Trump's executive order solidified the motion. It extended the life of the moratorium by 10 years to prohibit drilling in federal waters off Florida's Gulf Coast until 2022 and also expanded the ban to include Florida, Georgia, and South Carolina's Atlantic coast. The move brought outrage to Oregon and many other coastal states across the country that had long asked to be excluded from the new National Outer Continental Shelf Oil and Gas Leasing Program, so the state took action into its own hands. So, what are the historic correlations to the situation in Oklahoma? Well, the state is unhappy with how the federal government targeted federal lands and associated income and are utilizing their powers to support their state. Since Oregon was not exempt from federal offshore drilling during the Trump administration, they enacted state laws making the order too cost prohibitive to develop offshore assets around the state. Oklahoma is now moving in a similar direction by identifying potential issues and legislative workarounds to the Presidential Executive Order 13990. Stitt believes the order is a contravention of Article 2, Section 2, and the Tenth Amendment of the U.S. Constitution as it prevents Oklahoma from exercising its ability to properly determine how best to steward and develop its natural resources. If Oklahoma can prove it is responsibly producing energy while still moving towards net zero emissions and creating jobs, they might be able to get an exemption. If those tactics are unsuccessful, the state representatives may enact mandates or tax breaks clever enough to incentivize more energy production in the state. So let's look at what Oregon did. So they weren't able to exactly get around the executive order that Trump released saying that, okay, these federal waters are open to new oil and gas development. But since they do have control over their territorial seas, the up to three miles directly off the coast, Oregon said, okay, you can't drill in here. You can't build pipelines in here. And it made it so costly that no one wanted to explore those federal waters offshore in Oregon. So they weren't able to really you know, go against this executive order, but they kind of found a loophole around it. And I'm saying maybe that's something that Oklahoma can kind of target. You know, even if exploration or leases on all federal land do eventually get totally banned, I wonder if there's a way that they can make it so cost, you know, incentivize people to explore state lands that it's really not even going to matter that these federal lands are off limits. And hey, maybe they can work with Native Americans to strike a deal because... The Supreme Court did rule in favor that a lot of Oklahoma's local public land is actually owned by the tribes. So I feel like there could be opportunity there. But like you said, they've got to find some way to really incentivize non-federal drilling. Oklahoma Governor Kevin Stitt is standing up to President Biden to protect the oil and gas industry in his state. 
Stitt is using the 10th Amendment as an argument that Oklahoma has the right to develop its natural resources in a way that best fits its residents, not the sole discretion of the federal government. In his executive order, Stitt directs state agencies to use all civil methods and lawful powers to protect its 10th Amendment powers and challenge any actions by the federal government that would seek to diminish or destroy Oklahoma's ability to encourage job growth and the responsible development of their natural resources within the energy industry. Furthermore, in a statement after signing the executive order, Stitt said, quote, Energy production is the backbone of Oklahoma's economy. My executive order sends a clear message to the Biden administration that threatening to destroy Oklahoma's jobs and our constitutional ability to develop our oil and gas is unacceptable. We will not be passive in responding to systematic attacks on Oklahoma values, end quote. With oil and gas production historically being major components of Oklahoma's economy, it is no wonder that the state is pushing back. While there is no certainty Oklahoma will be able to ignore or become exempt from Biden's executive order, they can certainly let policymakers in Washington, D.C. know the problems that the new restrictions will cause. Potential also exists to enact loophole legislations that could circumvent the federal order without breaking it to incentivize the state's resource development. History has shown this has been done with other states and administrations. A prime example for this legislation passed in Oregon that banned offshore drilling or pipeline construction in territorial seas, making exploration in federal offshore waters too cost-prohibitive for development. If Oklahoma can do the opposite to make resource development cost-effective, companies will continue to develop the energy infrastructure while striving towards emission reduction targets. This could be done through tax incentives, subsidies, or litigation against lost asset value, which may reduce the impacts from the federal leasing ban without harming their state economy. Furthermore, the possibility exists that after completion of a comprehensive review and reconsideration of federal oil and gas permitting and leasing practices, the Secretary of the Interior might actually find issues and the federal moratorium will be lifted. While the scenario is unlikely given their environmental fortitude and petroleum disdain, the agencies are required to use the best possible science. If the state of Oklahoma can prove with sound science that hydrocarbon development in their state is in line with the nation's new environmental goals, there is a chance they may become exempt, like Florida, during the Trump administration. While a state-by-state -state exemption does not seem very likely, Oklahoma certainly has a fighting chance in their battle against the federal leasing ban. But that is the end of this periodical podcast. Please leave us some comments. Let us know what you think. Is Oklahoma overreacting? Do we think they can find a loophole? Let us know what you think about that. You can leave comments. You can email us directly at podcast at rarepetro.com. Who knows? Maybe you've got an idea for a segment because we are doing this for you. But until you hear another one, go to rarepetro.com. We've got plenty of old periodicals, other Monday Madness, news-related things, base and breakdown, lots of stuff that you can learn from. So until we see you next time, hey, take care, everybody. Have a great week 